everybody. It's good to see you all. I want to add my greeting. Thank you, Gavin, for waving. I appreciate that. And you didn't wave a palm branch, so that's, that's okay. I um, just wanted to add my greeting to uh, the one that Catherine gave at the top of the service. Uh, welcome to Holy Week. And though our Sabbath series is over, I want to assure you that the practice of the Sabbath is not. We were kind of joking about this in our community group this last week that, uh, well, now that we're done with that, we can kind of move on, right? But uh, truth is, you cannot move on from the Sabbath. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton uh, tells this story in her book, Sacred Rhythms, about how she didn't realize how in need of Sabbath she was until she was recovering from Uh, being pinned under a car and having her leg broken. Uh, She quotes Wayne Mueller, who notes that if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. All that is to say that if you don't make room for the Sabbath, one way or another, Sabbath is going to come find you. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that sounded a little bit like a, a, a horror movie. Sabbath will come for you. <laughs> not, not what I mean, but keep at it. Uh, we're going to be spending each Lent kind of uh, diving into these unforced rhythms of grace, uh, these, these spiritual practices that they introduce into our, our crazy lives. And so I'll offer you this, just that as encouragement to allow God to make space in your heart. Uh, allow space for the Spirit to take up residence, things like prayer and, and scripture and, and hospitality and, and welcoming one another. These, these aren't things to do just to, to, to check off a, a list, but they're things by which God does something in us through us. Uh, they are an invitation to receive his rest. Well, uh, this morning is Palm Sunday, uh, a day when hope rode into town kind of revolutionary hope, maybe even more hope than you're ready for. With that, I want to invite you to join with me in the gospel according to John. We're going to start at chapter 12 and read verses 12 through 26. Join with me as we hear God's word to us. The next day, A great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, Almighty God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come upon us, not only in the speaking of your word, but in the hearing, so that in hearing we may be drawn into your presence By your spirit, you would give us eyes to see. We ask this in the name of the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In his 1951 Gifford Lectures, the Hungarian chemist and philosopher, Michael Polanyi, argued that in every human endeavor... What you see actually will depend largely upon the assumptions that you bring to your viewing. Uh, As an example of this, for the longest time in physics, it was an established fact that waves and particles have different behaviors, have different properties. But then starting in 1901, physicists began to realize that light, which was long believed to be a wave, kind of like sound, will in fact behave like a wave if you ask it wave-like questions. But it will behave like a particle if you ask it particle-like questions. And of this contradiction, Einstein wrote, It seems that we must use sometimes the one theory and sometimes the other, while at times we may use either. We are faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. What happened was that at the ability to observe at the quantum scale This led scientists to see that actually there was a bit of a paradox here. It's called the duality paradox. Is light a wave or a particle? Depends on what you are looking for. What you see depends on the assumptions that you bring to the table. 
And I bring that up because Palm Sunday is like that. It's a day swirling with all kinds of hopes, all kinds of assumptions, all kinds of national pride mixed in with imperial resentment and religious longing, all thrown together in this crazy atmosphere of celebration. John tells us that there is quite a bit of a buzz uh, going on because of Jesus. People are flocking in to the, to the crowd to see what he's all about. The, the crowds are starting to spread the word of all the amazing things that he's done. There are even some Greeks who are in on the festivities, some, some religious outsiders who are there just to see what all of the buzz is about. And the question of seeing is at the very heart of the story. And what the people see has to do with what it is that they are expecting to see. When Jesus rode into town, everyone saw a revolution coming. It was a day that they had been praying for, an end to the empire, the coming of God's deliverance. And in spite of all of the power of Rome, the people still had hope. Prophets said that a savior would come, that a king would ride into Jerusalem and bring deliverance to his people. They knew the prophecy of Zechariah by heart. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious. And the rabbi said that all of this was going to go down during the Passover. That that would be the time when God's Messiah came and set the world to rights. And now it's here. Passover week. And all of those anticipations bubbling up, the, the heartbeat of Jewish life, the, the celebration of the Exodus, that time when God set his people free from slavery through the sacrifice of the lamb, through the crossing of the Red Sea. And always during that, that, that great festival, this city that normally had about 40,000 residents would swell to 200,000 I mean, could you imagine Atlanta, Decatur, mushrooming to five times their normal capacity? And though it's the wrong time of year, the palm branches actually have more to do with Hanukkah. This, this celebration, this remembrance of the time when Simon and Judas Maccabeus drove out the pagan occupiers and cleansed the temples. 200 years earlier, their followers were waving palm branches in this grand celebration of victory. And so it is that during both of the major wars with Rome, palm branches actually got stamped onto the coins of the rebellion. And so don't get this idea that the palms and the children, it was all some sort of innocent sort of sign of peace. No, these people were waving banners of the rebellion. When it comes to Palm Sunday, Jesus is not lining up next to Snoopy at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He's strolling into town, pulling up to a crowd that is ready to throw down. 
Add to that, Jesus has just set Lazarus free from death itself. And that has brought a crowd from outside of Jerusalem to mix in with this crowd inside of Jerusalem. And suddenly you have all the emotional charge of bringing Hanukkah and Passover together. They're, they're going to crown Jesus the conquering king. They're going to celebrate God setting their people free once and for all. All of this is to say that Jerusalem was like a powder keg waiting for Jesus to come and light the match. And so with all of these expectations, all of these assumptions, all of these revolutionary hopes and longings swirling around in the air as thick, so thick you could cut it with a knife, what does Jesus do? Well, he knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, he has been orchestrating this thing from the very beginning. This is a baby donkey. It's cute, isn't it? I mean, it's fun to give it a little cuddle, don't you? Stanley Harawas, who teaches at Duke, says that uh, Jesus is actually providing a bit of satire here. He's playing on this triumphal entry that happened 200 years earlier when the Maccabees rode in, when the people threw down their cloaks and they waved their palm branches, hailing the victory. And so on the one hand, this, this entry into Jerusalem looks like just any other triumphal entry. But instead, Jesus mounts a donkey, a young, unbroken donkey. And he rides silently through the town, this kind of quiet revolution of his own against both the presumptions of the empire and against the messianic nationalism of his people. He's, he's taking all of these expectations that people have and he's saying, I am a king. I'm just not the kind of king you think. So what's going on here? Well, there, there are a couple of things, a, a couple of reasons for this. And the first, it says a bit about who he is. And the second says a bit, I think, about who we are. And what it says about him, I think, is pretty straightforward. Jesus rides in in majesty, but it's not a majesty of this world. He's come to bring the reign and the rule of heaven. He's come to save and the crowds, they're shouting Hosanna, which is not this polite expression of, of worship. It's actually a, a, a demand. They're saying, save me. Save me now. But he's not coming to save them from the Romans. And so they want the commander-in-chief. They want the liberator. They want the one on the war horse. John notes that the people are calling out, Zechariah 9, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your come, your, your, your king comes to save you, righteous and victorious. But they're reading the scriptures, but are they hearing them? Or are they just using them? Because if they went just a little bit further, they would have found out a little bit more about this king who is coming. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. 
The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He's not coming to take up the nationalist cause, but to bring the peace of his kingdom. And he's not going to do it by taking power and killing, but by laying power down and dying. He's saying, I am going to triumph through weakness. And so my followers can only connect with the salvation that I bring through laying down their own power and confessing their own weakness. Friends, we are not saved by our strength and by the fight that's in us, but by the self-denying, downward mobility kind of life that is so hard for us to wrap our hearts and our heads around. We want to fight and claw and set up systems that keep death away as far as possible, but it's not salvation by strength. I thank God for that because there are a whole lot of people who are not very strong. There are a whole lot of people who end up getting knocked down by the systems that we set up. And so Jesus has come to bring a salvation of weakness for those who admit that they don't have the strength that in spite of our weakness and our sin, it is available to anyone. That's what Palm Sunday says about Jesus. But as we prepare to hear the Easter story again, it also has something to say to us. It has something to say about us. Usually when we come to God, we come looking for something. Uh, I, was, I was listening to an interview with a pastor in Manhattan this week uh, from New York City, and he was remarking on the time just after 9-11 when his congregation swelled to uh, double and triple its normal size. People had this acute sense of longing, this acute sense of need. They were, they, they were af afraid. They, they felt it in their bones. They felt vulnerable, scared, alone. Uh, and all that is to say that after the year that we have had, we might find the same thing next week at our outdoor Easter services. So smile a little bit more widely under those masks. You never know where people are coming from. But on a smaller scale, uh, I, I remember this time about seven years ago, I got a phone call out of, out of the blue from a guy who was not a member of my congregation, uh, just some, someone who lived in the community. And he had found out this news. He uh, was experiencing some pain in his uh, collarbone from an accident that he'd been into. So he went in and got an x-ray. And the doctor called him up and said, hey, look, your clavicle is fine, but I need you to know there's a spot on your lungs that is worrying us. We need you to come back in. And, I mean, this guy, he just, he, he called me up again didn't know him, had no idea if he had come to church, but he, he called me up and he just said, look, I, 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 need, I need your help. And he just started to open up about debt and about uh, addiction and about an affair that he'd had. And he said, I need, I need to come and I need to talk to a priest. I've never thought about death. And I said, of course, uh, I'm not a priest, but yes, yes, we can talk. 
but then he just blew it off. Um, and so I called a few times over the next week or so. And eventually he called me back in this like super gregarious mood. Hey, Padre. Uh, turns out, you know, it was just, I'm fine. Turns out it was just like a, so a little bit of a marker that happened on the x-ray. All good. I don't need to talk to a priest anymore. And I wanted to say, like, look, trust me on this, pal. A hundred percent of us lose our loved ones, our marriages, our jobs, our health, our lives, because a hundred percent of us, eventually our bodies return to dust. You're not going to beat those odds. So let's just come in and, and talk. But I didn't because I'm very polite. But that's so often how it goes. We, we come to God often with this posture of, I want you to provide what I think I need from you. The crowds on Palm Sunday, they thought they needed a God who would bring judgment, a God who would come down hard on all those people who were ruining the world, a God who would rearrange things with them on top. If, they're going, if, they're, if he's going to come as a warrior, then we want him. If he's going to come backing their politics or throwing down on the culture wars, then they want him. If he's going to come and show up and do something spectacular, they want him. If he's going to come to make sure that everything is going to be all right, if I never have to suffer, then they want him. But what they needed was not a God who would come in judgment of all those who were ruining life for them, but they needed a God who would come and take that judgment upon himself. What they needed was a God who could renew and reconcile all things in heaven and earth, who could end evil and oppression without ending you and me in the process. So there's the salvation that they wanted, and then there's the salvation that Jesus brought. And so I want to ask you this, that as we enter into Holy Week again, what if those shouts of Hosanna, what you need is someone truly to save you from yourself? Well, in the week ends, with Jesus crushed by his enemies, with his disciples being crushed by disappointment. It ends not with the bang of revolutionary upheaval, but with the whimper of the cross. But more to the point, it ends with almost no one getting it. John notes this of the disciples. It says, at first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize all these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Friends, when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, what you see depends on what you are looking for. We can be incredibly close to Jesus still be blinded by our own perceptions, our own agendas, and therefore miss him completely. 
The story of the Gospels with the disciples is that proximity to Jesus is no guarantor of openness to Jesus. Maybe as Jesus rode through the town, those hosannas started getting quieter and quieter. Maybe they even started slowly turning into the dissatisfied chance of crucify him, crucify him. But do you notice that after the crowds started to disperse, John tells us that there were some outsiders, some Greeks who were also there watching all of the things come to play. And they came up to the disciple, the one with the Greek-sounding name, and they said to him simply, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Friends, that is the invitation for this Holy Week. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize, and so if you want to see Jesus, look to him as he is lifted up on the cross, as he is raised up from the dead, as he is ascended into the heavens, as he sends the Holy Spirit upon the world. That is what Jesus wants us to see. So often we can go from the the triumph of Palm Sunday to the triumph of Easter without the cross. And friends, in a year that has been so hard, with, with so much loss, with so much division, with so much bitterness and and division and brokenness and violence and injustice, we come here because we want to see Jesus. We come here because we want to know where he is in the midst of all that, and and, in the midst of all the things that have felt hard and hopeless, in the midst of all of our expectations and longings, amidst all of the hopes and the fears. We want to know how God deals with the brokenness in the world. We want to know how God is going to deal with the brokenness in us. And so friends, if you want to see Jesus, look to the cross. If you want to experience Jesus, look to the power of the empty tomb. And what you will see is a revolutionary hope deeper than anything that you could see on your own, more beautiful than anything you could desire. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Friends, in a few moments we'll come to the table and we will see Jesus there in the continuation of the story of Holy Week Shortly after this moment, Jesus comes and he brings his disciples away into this upper room and he he washes their feet, he prays for them, he comforts them, he consoles them. He tells them of the coming of the Spirit that will lead them into all truth. He tells them of the day when they're going to see him and they're going to see him clearly. And friends, that same spirit is promised to us that we will, in this meal, 
and in our fellowship together and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to see him clearly. And so friends, as we come, let us also be glad that God sees us clearly, not on us as we appear in ourselves, but he looks upon us and sees us as we are in him. Friends, as we come to the table, let us pray. The Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the week that he was led to his death, Jesus gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And after he'd given thanks, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, This is my blood, the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And so, friends, whenever it is that we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming his dying until he comes again in glory and in power. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God.